Welcome to SF Site Audio Reviews. This podcast, we're going to change things up a little. Instead of reviewing a book, we're talking to Christopher Paolini, whose book we reviewed two weeks ago. Eldest is Christopher's second book and was recently published as a young adult fantasy title by Random House. With sales of 425,000 in its first week, Eldest has become the fastest selling book in the history of the Random House Children's Book Group. I caught up with Christopher as he was getting ready to travel to Nashville, one of the stops on his current 15-city book tour. The first question I had to ask was how he came to be a best-selling author. Before we discuss the book, I'd like for you to tell a little bit about how you got to this point. It's sort of a fantasy, too, isn't it? Uh, it is. Um, it has been an amazing experience. Uh, I, and I really have to give my parents credit for helping me uh, get this far. I graduated from high school at 15. I was homeschooled my entire life, and uh, I graduated early, the result of not taking any summer breaks my entire life. Um, And so when I graduated, I had a lot of free time on my hands, since my parents didn't want to send me to college at that point, since I was so young. And I didn't have a job, and the nearest town was quite a ways away. Uh, As a result, I had to find some way to entertain myself. And since I enjoyed reading epic fantasy uh, quite a bit, I decided to try and write a story that I would enjoy reading myself. Uh, As a result, I wrote Aragon, and uh, uh, my parents and I ended up self-publishing that. And we spent over a year marketing that book, uh, the self-published edition of Aragon, all across the country. And eventually it was discovered by uh, an author, who, uh, Carl Hyacin, who uh, is a Random House author. And he recommended the book to Random House, and they liked it enough that they sent me an email saying, we want to buy the entire trilogy, which was uh, quite amazing. Did you even believe it whenever they called and gave you that information? <laughs> it was an email, actually. Oh, and, okay. uh, no, I wasn't. I didn't know what exactly it meant, as a, you know, how serious they were, or you know, uh, what kind of changes... Uh, uh, you know, this would ha- make in my life. I remember a bookstore owner who we told about the email, and he looked at us and he said, uh, you don't realize how much is behind this email. And uh, from all I've learned since then, I've realized he was right. We didn't know what was all behind the email. It was uh, far more than a simple invitation. It was a commitment on Random House's part to publishing the book and, uh, you know, working with this uh, new and untested author, uh, through an entire trilogy, right? For which I'm very, very grateful that they and, did so. And and I'm sure they're grateful too, because your first book, Aragon, was a huge success, which you had published by Random House when you were 19. Uh, that's right. And, and this book sold over two million copies, was on the New York Times bestseller list for 85 weeks, and is now being made into a movie. Right. So now you're 21. Right. And you're poised for another big bestseller phenomenal success. Does that make it harder or easier for you to concentrate on your writing? Oh, good question. Um, It makes it different. Uh, You know, when I wrote Aragon, I obviously didn't have any pressures as far as deadlines or or expectations of what the book should or shouldn't be like. I was simply writing a story for myself, and at the most, I hoped that maybe, you know, my parents and my sister would read it and I couldn't even really count on my sister at that. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, you know it is different writing these 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 second the last two books of the trilogy. Uh, I'm not sure if it makes it harder, but it is different. 
did you envision the entire trilogy all together or did you write Aragon first and then think, oh, well, we can we can take this farther or, or how did that uh, um, come about? I tried writing several stories or even perhaps books before Aragon, but they all flatlined after about five or six pages, uh, mainly because I didn't know what happened next. So before I started Aragon, I sat down, I spent an entire month and I plotted out the entire uh, trilogy from start to finish. You know, not all not all the details, but right. all the broad strokes. Right. And once I felt confident with that, I then plotted out the first book in even greater detail, and that's when I finally started in on the series. I, I like to think about it in terms of music. You know, it's uh, it's very hard to compose a song while you're singing. You know, first you compose it, and then you can concentrate on performing the song or the piece of music as beautifully as possible. That's a good analogy. For some of the folks who may not know, would you mind uh, just giving a, a brief little um, rundown of what the what the story's about? Well, the, <clears throat> the series is about a young man, Aragon, who becomes intricately linked with this brilliant sapphire blue baby dragon named Zephyra. And together they go on a series of adventures through the land of Alagazia, and there's duels and dragons and battles and villains and romance and all the good stuff a story needs. Um, book two continues their travels, and uh, as will book three as soon as I get it done. All of the covers of your books indicate that dragons are very important in the in the book, and of course they are. Uh, why uh, were you drawn to dragons? You know, many young children are fascinated by dinosaurs, and I I was one of them. And when you're very young, I think it's a very it's a very easy leap to make, a very small step to take to go from dinosaurs to dragons. I mean, after all, a dinosaur is just a dragon that, I mean, a, I'm getting messed up even now. Uh, a dragon is just a dinosaur that breathes fire. Uh, and some of the dinosaurs are such incredible creatures, why couldn't a dragon exist? Um, so I love, I love uh, dragons, and especially the idea that they could be, you know, intelligent and sentient and uh, have their own history and past. And I thought uh, I thought that would be neat if you had an animal like that that was so big and so fierce, but yet so, yet also as intelligent as a human. And the thought also of the concept of a young boy or a young man finding a dragon egg, hatching it, and raising this dragon, and the two of them growing up and maturing together was irresist- irresistible to me. That was the the origin of the story, and to me, it's still the heart of the story. And they do make such a good team. Aragon and Sophira just, uh, you know, you want to uh, cheer them on through uh, all the, the trials and tribulations they have. And uh, it, it's just a, a lot of fun to watch them grow up together. Um, Aragon, he's, he's a, a great hero and, and he can fight with the best of them. But uh, one thing that uh, caught my attention is he also likes to read. He writes poetry. And he even visits an ancient library. Mm-hmm. Did uh, libraries play a role in your interest in writing? Is, is that why maybe you plugged them a little bit there in your book? <laughs> oh, yes. The local library where I grew up uh, had a huge impact on my life. Uh, if they weren't around, if they hadn't been around, I'm not sure I could have written Aragon. Uh, the librarians have known my sister and me since, uh, since we were, as they say, knee-high to a grasshopper. <laughs> and we were always uh, going in and out with stacks of books, you know, 10, 12 or more high, still do that actually, and uh, yeah. So when I wrote, when I was writing uh, both book one and book two, my thought was, uh, you know, there are plenty of stories that have muscle-bound 
uh, fantasy heroes hacking and slashing at monsters. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like muscle-bound heroes slash hacking and slashing at monsters. But at the same time, I thought it would be nice for Aragon, since he is introspective and he does ask many questions about the world around him, to expose him to literature in, the, in his world and to libraries and to writing, especially since so much of his life is occupied with physical survival and, and sword fighting and, and violence. Uh, it seemed that uh, countering that was important. Well, I thought that was a nice touch. The book, which is a rather hefty book, 700-plus <laughs> pages, um, is also a hefty uh, audio book, about 20 CDs. And so uh, how does it feel to hear someone else reading your book? It feels as if it's coming alive. Um, I'm a huge fan of oral storytelling, of you know, scenes in a book or in a, in a story where the old, the old bard gets up in front of a group of people and, and recounts a history or a legend. And I've always uh, imagined my story in that way to a certain degree. And so hearing the audiobook version of Aragon and, and also parts of Eldest was, uh, really gave me chills down the spine. Uh, I think uh, Gerard Doyle, the actor who, who read the books, has done an incredible job. Uh, I obviously would, you know, do some things differently because everyone's interpretation is different. Sure, sure. Uh, but I think he has done an incredible job, um, and I, I look forward to his reading for the third book. Well, um, I was able to, to listen to that, and, and I agree with you. I'm looking forward to that as well because uh, he, he did a, a fantastic job with all the characters, and uh, uh, I'm sure as an author you, you see places where perhaps he didn't interpret the same way that, that you were thinking, but... Uh, for someone that's just listening for the first time, uh, it oh, was yeah. a very interesting uh, rendition well, there. E- even if he has a different interpretation, I can certainly appreciate the validity of his interpretation. You know, It's not as if he's ruining the material. It's simply a right. take on it. For the most part, he's extremely faithful, so I, I really have no complaint. In fact, I had to, um, because there are so many invented names and especially languages in the series, I had to... Uh, pronounce all of the names and languages uh, for, uh, it, was, it was for the, the producer of the audiobook, I believe, or the director, Tara Meyer. Mm-hmm. And so she recorded me saying all these names and languages, and then Gerard used that as the basis for his pronunciation. Uh, and I actually got to visit the studio where the audiobook was being recorded at one point. And Gerard, he was extremely pleasant and very nice man, uh, but I could definitely tell uh, some of those chunks of dwarvish he was going through, uh, he, he wasn't having the most fun with those. Well, it, it did probably take a little creativity on his part to uh, pronounce some of those names, but uh, he did a good job. He did. The tour that you're currently on, a 15-city book signing tour, uh, gives you the opportunity to uh, get out and, and meet with your fans. You have tons of fans. If, if anybody does a Google search, they see forums and, and uh, discussion groups and uh, online communities. There's a lot of buzz about you and your book. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you do you enjoy getting out and seeing your fans? That's really the the rewarding part of a book tour. Uh, I mean, I'm not a fan of the traveling. Uh, very very few people are, I think. But I truly enjoy getting out and meeting the people who've enjoyed and supported the series. That's um, that's a real treat. Um, so I am I am on a very long tour here in the U.S. And when that finishes, then I'm going to Europe for three weeks, Europe and Britain. And I've never been to Europe before, so that'll be... Oh, that'll be a treat. Yeah, so I'll get to meet some fans uh, farther away from my home.
Speaking of fans, and you mentioned earlier you have a younger sister. I'm hoping she's a fan, too. Uh, What does she think about all this? My sister has been very diplomatic about it. Um, She was gracious enough to let me base the character of Angela the Herbalist on her. There is named Angela. And, yes, the character is very close to who she is. Uh, However, my sister does have different uh, tastes than me in literature. She's not a huge fan of big, plotted fantasy novels. So she's never told me exactly what she thinks of the series. (laughs) I'm actually grateful she hasn't. Well, uh, she is diplomatic then, isn't she? (laughs) That's right. But we were very close, and we enjoy working together. And I wouldn't be surprised if someday there's a book out uh, by Paulini and Paulini. Ah, well, now that would be interesting. It would. I have a sneaking suspicion she's smarter than me, too. Uh too, But you don't tell her that, do you? Oh, I think she knows it already. (laughs) Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, when the tour is over, it sounds like you'll be finishing up your third title in this series. Do you have any idea when that will be coming out? As fast as I can write it. And actually, before I left on book tour, I got a very important part of it done. I sat down and wrote the first line. Well, that is an important part. That's right. It's very hard to write the second line until you have the first line. So, (laughs) Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we uh, close our interview? Um, Well, you know, I wrote this story uh, just for myself, but I tried to have fun writing it. Uh, And I tried to write the sort of story I would enjoy reading and you know, try and capture that sense of awe and wonder that I always get at the end of a good book or movie. And I hope that people who read or listen to this series will experience that same sense of awe and wonder. I feel confident that they will. And thank you so much for talking with me today. I wish you the very best of luck. And I look forward to many more stories from Christopher Paolini. This interview was recorded courtesy of WKMS Radio in Murray, Kentucky, and Susan Dunman, who invites you to read at the speed of sound.